Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to start. Now remember, uh, we're going through uh, the fourth in a series on the Holy Spirit. And these are topical sermons. Uh, they're thematic, and so we're not going to stay in Acts 5. We're going to start there, move to 4 Thess- or Ephesians 4.30, and then possibly 1 Thessalonians 5, depending on our time. Um, but we're looking at sins against the Spirit. Sins against the Spirit. Uh, this will probably be our last sermon in this four-part series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was going to uh, I was going to go actually into the book of Revelation, possibly do the seven churches and about four or five um, kind of thematic sermons in the book of Revelation. Michelle's been kind of prepping for that, uh, prepping me for that. And so I was going to go there. Last week I came in and Tony was making copies for his Sunday school. And he, I said, what are you guys going into? And he said, we're going into Revelation. We're going to do the seven churches. And I was like, oh, man. Uh, so anyway, I'm not sure. I may, I may jump into, into the Old Testament and do something there and then maybe come back to that. Uh, but this will be our last sermon about, uh, the, on, on this series through the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, Acts 5, 1 through 11, here we go. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such so, so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together? To test the Spirit of the Lord, behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear came upon the whole church, upon all who heard of these things. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work in us, From the inside out, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our minds to truth and show us the glory, the greatness, the majesty of Jesus. We pray that we would be responsive. Father, we pray that we would not stay in our sin. God, keep us from from ignoring our sin. Keep us, God, from testing your patience. Keep us, Lord, from pretending, posing, being hypocrites. God, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to work in us this morning. We invite you to come. We ask you to come. We open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you just a quick overview of where we've been. Uh, Four weeks ago, we looked at the Holy Spirit and the new birth, okay? We talked about how the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to truth. He reveals truth to us. He shows us the glory of God. He's the one who turns that light on on the inside of us so that we come to see Jesus in a whole new way. And and we trust Him. We want to depend on Him and follow Him, okay? The next week, we talked about the Holy Spirit and sanctification, how He makes us like Christ, how He convicts us of sin, he shows us our sin. He shows us uh, our sin in the eyes of God, and, and we repent of it. He works through the Word of God to bring about new desires 
so that as we take in his truth, he creates a new wanting, a new desire, a new heart in us so that we don't want to sin. We talked last week about the fullness of the Spirit and the mission of God and how as we are filled with the Spirit, what that means is that the Spirit of God opens up our hearts to know in a greater capacity the love of God and the glory of God and the greatness of God so that we gush forth. That's the best word I can think of. We're gushers, okay? As God opens up your heart to know the glory of God in a greater way, you, 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 you respond in joyful obedience to, to, to tell the word of God and to speak the word of God uh, in, 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 your, in your community, in your family, in, in your sphere of influence. And now today, we're looking at the sins against the Spirit. Now, I think we needed to end here because we spent three weeks talking lots about the work of the Holy Spirit. But we haven't said a whole lot about our response to that work, okay? Because here's the reality. The Spirit of God ebbs and flows in our life based on our response to His work in our life. In other words, we can desire and seek and respond and be obedient and love and want the Spirit of God in our life or... We can grieve and quench and resist and lie to. And today we want to get to this, but even blasphemy, the Spirit of God. You know, it's really evident how, 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 how this works in the Old Testament because the Old Testament saints were not, as we are, believers, as believers are, indwelt with the Spirit of God. And so you see a guy like Samson who, with the Spirit of God, he's unstoppable, okay? But because of his continual rebellion against God and, and, and the in and the unhealthy relationships he put himself in, you know, he, he loses the Spirit of God. In, Saul, in, in 1 Samuel, we, we read about Saul, King Saul, who, who is indwelt with the Spirit of God and prophesies and begins to be the first king of Israel. And then because of his repeated disobedience against God, in 1 Samuel 16, 14, says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me start by saying this. That does not happen to born-again believers. Amen? Okay? Because what happens at Pentecost, okay, the great news of Pentecost, the great news of Acts chapter 2, is that God gives this gift to His church. He gives the indwelling Spirit of God. Okay? That's the gift to the church. And that every born-again believer, as, as you turn in faith to Christ, you're joined to Jesus, and the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you forever. You are sealed with the Spirit. Okay? That's what the Bible says. You're sealed with the Spirit. He moves in and He, He ensures. He, by His work, makes you persevere and gives you sanctification and takes you all the way to the end, okay? That's the, that's the newness of the church is the indwelling Spirit of God inside of us. Now, who, who lives inside of you? Notice I didn't say what lives inside of you. Who lives inside of you as believers? It is who because the Spirit of God is a person, okay? When you think of the Holy Spirit... Please don't think of Star Wars and the Force, okay? A lot of people think of the Force, and, and when they think of the Holy Spirit, they think of a, an impersonal force that's kind of out there, you know, that we're tapping into. No, not at all. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not a person in the sense that he's a human, okay? But he's a person in the sense that he is personal, okay? That he has attributes of personhood. That he is like Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, and like God the Father, the first member of the Trinity, okay? And so he is a person. And, and here's the thing. When a person lives within you, you are in close proximity to that being, okay? And here's the reality. Being in close proximity means we are more prone to sin against somebody. I don't sin very often against my brother Aaron. My brother Aaron is, is my youngest brother, 
and I don't sin very often against him. And the, and the real, the practical reason why is that he lives in Scott City, Kansas, and I live in Woodward, Oklahoma, and we don't see each other very often, okay? Now, I, I wish this wasn't true, but I sin against Emma probably a lot. And the reason I sin against Emma a lot is not because I don't like her as much as I like Aaron. It's because she's around me a whole bunch, okay? I mean, we share the same house. We eat at the same table. We do the same dishes. We have the same checkbook. We have the same five kids. Uh, and, and so because of proximity, we, we, I'm more prone to sin against her. Okay, now just imagine that ramped up. The Spirit of God makes His home inside of you, okay? And we need to be very careful because of His proximity, His closeness in our life, that we do not sin against the Spirit. Okay? We need to see him as a personal being living inside of us. The God of all gods, the spirit of God living inside of us. Not, not an inanimate object. Okay? I don't ever worry about sinning against a pulpit okay? or a music stand. I don't worry about that. When I come in, into this, this sanctuary at different times during the week and there's nobody else here, I never worry about how I'm acting around this. Okay? I just don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's an inanimate object. Okay? Not, not so with the spirit of God. The spirit of God lives inside of you. Okay? The person person of the Spirit of God, and we need to be very careful how we live around the Spirit who lives inside of us. Now, that takes us to Acts chapter 5. We're going to start here because I think this helps us kind of realize the presence of the Spirit of God in our life, and then we're going to move to Ephesians 4 in just a second about grieving the Holy Spirit, okay? So let's begin here in Acts chapter 5. What do we have here? Well, you got, uh, you got the explosion in Acts chapter 2 of the Spirit of God indwelling the church, empowering the church. Peter steps out, preaches a sermon. 3,000 people are saved. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the problems of growth, okay, in the, in the Jerusalem church? 3,000 saved, another 1,000 saved. I mean, thousands multiplying, okay? And, and you got many of these folks losing their homes. They're getting kicked out of their apartments, losing their jobs because of their connection to Jesus. You've got all kinds of needs. And because of that, the Spirit of God moved in people, okay, people with means. Like this, this Barnabas in verse 36 of chapter 4. Go forward, go backward a couple verses. Acts 4, 36. Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what is Barnabas led by the Spirit to do? He's got a piece of property. He's like, you know what? I see all these needs around me. And he's led by the Spirit to sell that property and to take all of the money. You know, and he takes it and he says, guys, I sold a piece of property. Here it is. God's led me to give all of it to the church. I want you to use it to take care of these folks that have lost their homes, lost their jobs, that are in need, okay? So Barnabas does that. Well, another couple in the church named Ananias and Sapphira. Cute couple, uh, lived there in Jerusalem, good jobs, people of means. They're watching this, and man, they're really touched by what Barnabas has done. And they see how everybody responds to Barnabas, and they see every, you know, everybody's praising the Lord for what's been done and how God's provided. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they would like to have a piece of that as well. Well, they've got a piece of property as well. You know, maybe, maybe Ananias had it from his family, or maybe Sapphira, we don't know. But they've got a piece of property, they decide to sell it. And then as they're driving to the church, as they're walking in the church, as they're, as they're thinking about taking it to the church, as Ananias is going to go first, Sapphire comes later, they decide in their hearts, we're not going to give it all. You know, maybe Sapphira, she wanted to remodel the kitchen. Uh, maybe uh, Ananias wanted to go on a trip later that year. We don't know. Just They're, they're going to keep some of it for themselves. But they decide together, together, that we're going we're gonna to present this as if this is everything. We're going to present this as, as if we've sold this property and we're giving it all to the church. And so in their minds, we're, we're going to give a little, we're going we're gonna to deceive just a little bit. We're going to give a little deception 
to Peter and James and John and Mary and Martha and the rest of the church. Okay? Now there's a problem, though. There's a problem. The big problem is, what happened in Acts chapter 2? The Spirit of God now dwells within the church, right? Within the people of God. Okay, now, now again, again, get, get this right. Verse 4, some people get confused on this passage, so I want, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? What's Peter tell him? You could have done whatever you wanted with this property. You didn't have to sell it. You could have kept it. You could have built on it. You could have moved out there. You do whatever you want, okay? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? After you sold it, you could have given a dollar. You could have given nothing. You could have given a hundred dollars, a thousand, half of it, three quarters, whatever. It was at your disposal, okay? But the point is, is that Ananias and Sapphira presented themselves, they deceived the church, they presented themselves to be people that they were not, okay? They, they, they deceived, they lied, they thought, again, to Peter and James and John, but Peter says, no, you lied to the Spirit of God. I mean, this is just simple hypocrisy. It's nothing new, is it? No? It's just hypocrisy. It's just making yourself out to be somebody that you're not really, Okay? presenting yourself to be somebody on the outside that you're not on the inside, okay? You're somebody else on the inside. You love other things. You want other things. But on the outside, you're pretending to be somebody you're not. But the problem is, is that when the Spirit of God dwells in you, every conversation you have, He is present. Have you ever thought about that? From the time of your conversion, you never have another conversation with anybody without the Spirit of God being present. After your conversion, you, He's always at the table. You, you never do anything. You never present yourself. You never tell a story when He's not there. He's with you. He's, he's indwelling in you, the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and so Peter brings out very powerfully, Ananias, you've not lied to men. You've lied to God. Wow. Now, that's an important principle for us to grab onto today, isn't it? That from now on, as believers, okay, once you come to Christ, once you're, you're joined to Jesus, once the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, from that point on, the Spirit of God is in every conversation. He's in every action. He sees it all, okay? Now, there's two ways to go with that. Number one, if we've got good, if we've got poor theology, maybe we don't realize that. Maybe, maybe we think that, you know what, when I leave the church, you know, the Holy Spirit stays, beside, stays behind, you know. He runs with me beside the minivan until I cross the bridge, and then he's like, whoa, you know, I'm staying here, you know. I'll see you next week, okay. Man, that's real poor theology, okay. That's actually the best case scenario, okay. The worst case scenario is that Ananias and Sapphira and you and I, we realize that. We realize that we never have a conversation without the Spirit of God, that he's always at the table, that, he, that he's always with us, that he's always present in every deed, and we're banking that he won't do anything. I think that's even worse, don't you? Do you, know, do you notice what, what Peter says to Sapphira? Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to, do you see that next word? Test, okay? Test the spirit of the Lord. All right? Let's say that uh, Fred and I are at Walmart shopping, okay? Now, by the way, you probably never see this in your life, okay? But let's just say that it happened. Let's say that we're there shopping, and we're walking down the cereal pop-tart aisle, and uh, I see on the ground a $100 bill, okay? Fred and I both see it. 
but I happen to be closer to the ground than Fred, so I snatch the baby up, you know? I've got it. It's just one of the advantages of being me, okay? I snatch it up, and I've got it. He got a $100 bill. I'm rejoicing, man. Went to Walmart, got $100, you know, paying for my groceries, and I'm walking around the corner. I'm still talking. I got it in my hand, talking about it with Fred, and I run into a lady, and she sees that I have that, and she's obviously distraught, and she says, Sir, did you happen to find that in the aisle on the ground? I had it. I had a $100 bill in my pocket, and, and I lost it. And I think I dropped it, and it's all I have. And I look at her, and I say, Ma'am, I'm sorry. I just took this one out of my billfold. Okay, it's, I just took it out of my billfold. I, I've got it. We're heading up to pay. Sorry, I, I don't know where yours is. Okay, now it's one thing for me to lie to her. Okay, but there's something else going on there too, isn't there? Not only am I lying to her, but what am I banking on? I'm banking on one of two things. Fred doesn't care or he won't do anything. Isn't that what I'm banking on? Okay? So what what is Ananias and Sapphira banking on? What are you banking on when you present yourself to be somebody you're not? What are you banking on when you present yourself to be have a heart that you don't have? What are you banking on? You're banking on either the Holy Spirit, A, won't do anything, or B, you don't care. Now, the Holy Spirit did something. <laughs> that was a bad bet for Ananias, wasn't it? He, he did not come out ahead on that, okay? God did something, and it was very swift. Cardiac arrest with no paddles. He's going in the ground within three hours, okay? He's dead and buried. Sapphira right on the heels. People have asked before, why doesn't God do this all the time? I think that's the most ridiculous question ever, okay? I mean, I don't even want to ask that. I, I mean, can we? you know what we should be saying? Praise God that he does not, okay? Or my job would be nothing but funerals and your job would be to bury me, okay? I, I mean, praise God that God doesn't. I, I believe that he does this in the early church just like in Jericho when they're going into the promised land. God makes a statement about holiness to his people, okay? You know, remember Achan? He takes of, of the spoil. He hides in his tent. Thinks nobody knows, okay? He, he's hiding something, all right? Uh, he thinks he's just hiding it from, the, from, from, Mo, from Joshua and Caleb and those guys. No, 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 no. You're, you're doing this to God. In the same way in the early churches, God starts and begins and bursts the church. I think there's a, an emphasis upon holiness, and I think this passage is to teach us that we don't do anything outside of the presence of the Spirit of God. And by the way, even if God does not do something now, it will be something will be done. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, listen to this. Don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to, to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Our hearts are going to be exposed. That's going to happen, okay? We may hide it for a little bit, but, but we cannot hide from the Holy Spirit, okay? So, Instead of doing what Ananias and Sapphira should have done, which is admit my heart, okay? What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's revealing our hearts, and he's convicting us of sin. And, and, and what Ananias and Sapphira should have done was, he said, Holy Spirit, you know, my heart's not right in this deal. You know, please, I'm taking it to Jesus. I'm putting my sin on the cross. I'm receiving your forgiveness. Please make me, make me new, change my desires. Instead of doing that, they hide their sin and believe that they are fooling everybody, and they're not. Okay, so, based on that view of the Holy Spirit, let's go to Ephesians 4, okay? So now Ephesians 4.30, this verse, I think, helps us understand the, uh, the severity of, of not dealing with your sin as a believer 
filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? That's a severe thing, okay? Verse 30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, okay? Now, in order to understand this, I, I want to I back up. If you'll just give me just a few minutes and let me, let me walk through some of Ephesians 4 with you. Verse 22, 23, and 24 are really important verses in this chapter, okay? Verse 22, it's, it's, it's about the Christian life, okay? So verse 22 says, put off the old man, okay? So what I should be doing in my Christian life is I should be recognizing my sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I should be putting that off. Verse 23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, okay? So the Holy Spirit, he, he, he reveals to me truth. He reveals to me the, the truths of God. I embrace those things. I embrace the truth of God. And then I put on the new man, okay? So there's kind of the Christian life. Put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. That's 22, 23, and 24. Now, starting in 25, he begins to give examples of this, okay? So verse 25, put off falsehood and put on truth, okay? Verse 26, put off anger, put on reconciliation. Verse 28, put off thievery, put off stealing, and put on hard labor and generous giving. Verse 29, put off corrupting talk and put on speech that builds up others in the, in the grace of God, okay? So there's put off the old man, put on the new man by the renewing of your mind, okay? Now in the middle of that, verse 30 says, and don't grieve the Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Spirit of God, okay? I, I think that, that is positioned in that passage to say, when you don't put off the old and put on the new and you remain in the old, you grieve the Spirit of God. Now remember, he dwells within us. Look at what verse 30 says. By whom you were sealed. You were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are sealed. Remember, remember the picture there? He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the first down payment of our inheritance that's coming. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to assure us that indeed we will persevere to the end. The Spirit of God moves into our hearts okay, to make sure that we are protected, that we stay in faith, that, that, that we receive the glorious inheritance that is coming for us. Yea, the Spirit of God moves in. He moves in to assure that you are blessed forever. And how offensive. Think through this, folks. How offensive for you to make that as miserable as you can for Him. When the Spirit of God moves in and dwells your heart, He's working in you to ensure that you, you make it all the way to glory. How offensive is that for you to make that as miserable as possible for Him? Now, why do I say as miserable as possible? What does the word grieve mean? By the way, again, the Holy Spirit is a person, but only persons grieve, don't they? Right? That's a personal characteristic. What is it to grieve? To grieve is, is, is sadness, right? Sorrow. It's vexation. It's, 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 it's to be disturbed, to be upset. All right? Now, not, not that we affect the, the eternal God, but, but in a real way, God is communicating to us that sin grieves Him. Okay? Imagine you're a criminal. Here's an illustration for you. So you're a criminal. You've done terrible things. You deserve life in prison. But the saving thing for you is there's people worse than you above you. And so the government makes a deal with you. If you'll testify against those folks above you, they'll, they'll drop the charges and they'll give you a new life. And so you agree. But now you've got, you got enemies, right? And so the government assigns you a U.S. marshal 
And this guy's job is he's going to give you a new life. You don't have to go to prison anymore. You don't have to spend the rest of your life in prison. He's going to take you to a new place, to somewhere you've never been, and he's going to set you up in a home, and he's going to stay with you. He's going to live with you and guard you. He's going to protect you. He's going to make sure that you have a full and, and, and lasting life. I mean, how incredible. Now, how would it be if after being given all that, you deserve, you deserve prison, you deserve life in prison, you deserve to not be free, now you've been given a new life, and this, this personal, you know, officer to to guard you and protect you how would it be if you made that as miserable as you could for that man you know day one you come down from breakfast you open up the fridge you take the milk you take off the cap you know little backwash you put it back in you put it on you know you grab some cereal and, and, and a popsicle for your breakfast and you go, you go sit down on the couch and you're slopping cereal all over the couch and you eat half the popsicle and then you realize it doesn't taste very good for breakfast. So you just set it on the coffee table and you just let it melt. Then you go for your run, your jog, you come back, you're sweaty. You're one of those people that sweats a lot, let's say, okay? There's some people sweat a lot. You, so you're just covered, you're drenched. You sit right down in his chair, you know? And you sit there for about five, ten minutes. When you get up, you leave a big ring, you know, an outline of yourself. Then you go up and you shower and you, and you get out of the shower and you can't find your toothbrush. You're the kind of person that loses stuff. You just grab his, you know. You grab his and you use it and brush your teeth with his toothbrush. And then after you get done, you, you lay it down. Your dirty underwear there on, on, the, on the cabinet by the sink. You lay it face down on your underwear. You know, you go get dressed. I'm trying to be as offensive as possible without being, like, crude. Did I, did I hit it? Okay. Now, let me, let me, tell, you why, why, let me tell you why I needed to, to be that way. Your sin is more offensive to God than all those things I just mentioned. Some of you are probably those OCD people. You know, if someone used my toothbrush, I mean, I would not like it, but I'd be like, ah, you know. Some of you would gag, right? You'd, you'd puke in your mouth a little bit. You, you just, I mean, okay, I want you to picture, I want you to consider your sin is more offensive to the Spirit of God than any of those things, much more. You know, when you read your Bible, hey, do you ever pay attention to the pictures of sin in there? Things like adultery, whoredom. In Isaiah 1, it's, it's, it's rotting flesh, it soars, unpressed and seeping. In Romans chapter 3, it's, it, it, it's an open grave and vipers coming out of your mouth. I mean, I mean they're, they're vivid graphic pictures to help us understand we serve a holy God and your sin is offensive to Him. And so come back to Ephesians 4.30. What if, what if you're not putting off the old man and putting on the new? You know what you're doing? You're grieving the Spirit of God. For you to stay, listen, for you to stay in, let's just read these sins again. Let's just take the ones he mentions. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. For you to stay in those, for you to not put them off, for you, for you to act like they're not in there. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did, right? They had stuff going on in here that shouldn't have been going on. But they didn't tell the truth about it. Why? Because I don't know why. Either they're, either they're not realizing the Spirit of God knows them, or, or B, they're just betting he won't do anything. If you came to church here this morning and you're a believer and you've got that rottenness going on inside of you, it is there. And it's been there. 
And, and you're resisting the Spirit of God. That's one we're not going to get to. But you're resisting his, his conviction. And you're just leaving. You're leaving that, that anger and that malice and that unforgiveness and that bitterness to simmer and to seethe. You're causing grief to the Spirit of God. You're grieving Him. You're grieving Him. He dwells inside of you. And you cannot bottle up that decay of bitterness and that foul smell of an angry heart and that ugliness of an unforgiving spirit. You grieve the Spirit of God. Think about last week. The Spirit of God has a mission, you know? He's got a mission. He doesn't just come to live inside of you just to vacation. He comes to live inside of you with a particular purpose, okay? He comes to live inside of you to make you into the image of Christ and, and then to show you, to, not to show you, to show God to the world. That's spiritual gifts, right? You're, you're, you're to show the character of God to the world. That, that is your, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. You know, we've been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And when we looked at Ephesians 4, we're to build up the church. That's your mission, to build up the church. Ephesians 4, Three, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 13, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 16, from which the whole body joined together, every joint with which it is equipped, each part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The Spirit of God is building the church. When you leave sin... undealt with in your heart, you're actively tearing down what the Spirit of God is building. The Spirit of God's building unity. He's building love in us to draw us together, to show the character of God, to build up our faith, to advance the kingdom. And when you don't deal with your heart, you say, well, nobody sees it. That's what Ananias and Sapphira said, Right? If it's in your heart, you're tearing down what the Spirit of God is building. Three little boys from our church, Tate Vanderwerk, Trevor Harris, Brody Patton, were at kids camp this week. And every time we got a break in the schedule, those boys headed to the sand right on the other side of the Overton Chapel. And they, they headed to that sand, and they began to build. I mean, they were digging, they were digging moats and castles and sticks and fences and bridges. And I mean, every time. And man, without fail, I felt so sorry for them. You know, we'd, we'd, it'd be time to start something. We'd go to recreation, go to zip line, we'd go to chapel, we'd go to the preaching, we'd go to Bible, we'd go to missionary. And they'd come back, and what happened? 300 people on the grounds. You know what happened, right? Somebody trampled down what they were building. I remember that last time old Trevor Harris, he, he held up his fist to me and he said, they knocked it down again, you know. I mean, he's just righteous indignation. And don't tear down what the Spirit of God is building. Real quick, and we don't have time to go do much with this, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Very short verse. If you're, if you're a memorizer, you know, memorize verses, and you're like one of those people that you say you can't memorize, come on, man. Surely got that one, don't you? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. I think we just got it, didn't we? Do not quench the Spirit. It's interesting to me that word quench means to extinguish, stifle. 
You, you know, the cool thing is, do you remember the, the visual in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit falls on the church? What's the visual? Remember that? They saw something. Fire, right. Tongues of fire uh, uh, above their heads, okay? The Spirit of God manifests himself visually to everybody as fire. And it's interesting that Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, and don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God doing things in you, through you, and when you harbor sin and resist him and don't listen to him and you put him off and you bet he was not going to do anything, you quench the Spirit of God working inside of you. It's interesting to me, if we had more time, it would be fun to unpack this, but the, the context of that little verse there, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 20, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. It's interesting, just the, the rapid fire commands. Be joyful in the Lord, be always grateful, be continually in prayer, receive the word of God. That's the spirit of God's will for you. That's God's will for you. Isn't that cool? The will of God for you is continual joy, abundant, abounding gratefulness, continual dependence on him. That's what he's doing in your life. Don't quench that. You have the Spirit of God if you're a believer here today. He lives inside of you. You can't leave him. You can't opt out of that. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. You don't have Spirit, you're not connected to to Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit, and he's at work. Don't lie to him. Don't grieve him. And don't quench his work. Maybe you're, you're here today and you have religion, right? You want to be a good person. You've done some good things. Other people see you as a, as a good neighbor. That's great. That's great. But you're lost without the Spirit of God. Unless you are joined to Jesus, connected to the work of Jesus, to the death of Jesus, to the resurrection of Jesus then you're not a believer. You need the Holy Spirit. And the only way to have the Holy Spirit is to be connected to the work of Christ. To turn away from your own works and to put your faith in Christ. What I want you to do, Bonnie's going to come and Deb's going to come and they're going to play and we're going to sing. I want you to just respond to the Spirit of God. Uh, If you're a believer here today, you have the Spirit. What's he saying? What's he saying? What's he put his finger on? I want you to be obedient to that. I want you to respond. I want you to say yes. I don't want you to ignore it. I don't want you to lie. I don't, I don't want you to act like it's not true. Whatever he's showing you in your heart, I want you to deal with that. Make, be responsive. Be obedient to the Spirit today.